Hello, friends. Welcome to Hermeneutica Etc. I'm your host, Jonathan Dansby. Hello, and welcome back after a long hiatus from recording on the podcast. Uh, I really appreciate you tuning in. Uh, we've got some new episodes lined up for you. Uh, hopefully we'll be dropping those, uh, about every week. Um, the circumstances are that I'm teaching a class at my church on the creed. And, uh, I have asked if it was okay to record some of those conversations and put them up as a podcast. Um, mainly for people in the class who might miss uh, a session or two and want to catch up and have part of the conversation um, or participate in some way in the conversation. So that's really the main driver behind uh, starting up these podcasts again. Um, there had been a, a long pause as some of you listeners know, um, since about September, uh, and there was not really a whole lot I could have done about that, uh, for various reasons. We won't go into it now, but, uh, just wanted you to know, um, what was going on and what we've got in store. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Uh, this will be actually the second class the first class we recorded did not take. Um, the rec something happened with the recording, and uh, it just wasn't, it didn't happen. Um, so I'm working on putting that recording together so that we can have some semblance of a first class if people want to go back. And here are some of those, um, uh, some of the foundational things that we had talked about. Um, the main resource for the class is Luke Timothy Johnson's book called The Creed, What Christians Believe and Why It Matters. And uh, it's been a, a good book. I've read it a couple of times now. And um, the the main strength of the book is that he spends a lot of time in the biblical texts, um, mainly to support, I guess, to, to make his argument that the creed, the Nicene Constantinopolitan creed, doesn't just come out of thin air, it's not uh, imposed back on scripture, but it actually comes from scripture. That it's drawn out of the texture uh, of Scripture, um, so that it's not, uh, we might say, an innovation, uh, but it's a it's a legitimate understanding of the text of Scripture, and uh, the understanding that the Church has said to be normative. Um, 
that 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 comes out of scripture and not from somewhere else. Uh, anyway, that's that's a little bit about his book. Um, I hope uh, if you're going to be listening along that you can get the book uh, and read it and take part in the conversations as a kind of guide uh, and a conversation partner with the book. Uh, in part because reading alone isn't so fun. It's always better to read with other people. And uh, just like having a conversation by yourself isn't very fun. Um, some people notwithstanding. Um, and if you can hear my kids in the background, it's because they're kids and they're playing and whatnot. Um, so, uh, let's see. Oh, um, I'm working on the audio quality for these class sessions, but, uh, this one that is, uh, that you're about to listen to, um, isn't the greatest quality. Some of the settings on the microphone, uh, weren't quite right. And so one half of the room or half of the table uh, is a lot more clear and loud than the other half. Um, and the not so clear half is the half of the table that I was on. Um, so apologies for that. We'll be working on getting clearer recordings moving forward. Uh, but this is the best we can do for now. And so I really hope you enjoy the episode. Thanks for listening. There we go. We should be picking up right now. Um, so the class that we had recorded last week didn't take. Apparently. So I'm going to sit down. I'm going to sit down with Phil and Kyle, and we're going to talk. Um, I'm going to send them the notes that I've taken, so they have. Um, uh, at least some reference for what we talked about in the first class. Um, and that way, the people who missed the first class can have something. Yeah. Um, so, so I want to I'll be putting that up. Yes. When you asked them, you didn't mention which creed. Yeah. Did you care whether it was the Nicene or the Apostles when you said? which? How long have you been saying the creed? I... Part of me doesn't really care. Okay. Because, I just curious. well, because of my background, I didn't say grow up saying the creed at all. Uh-huh. Um, for I know, various ironic reasons, um, but when I so when I was an undergrad, I had to memorize the uh, Nicene Constantinopolitan Creed, the one that we'll be talking about. Um, it's fuller than the Apostles' Creed. Um, and that was that was just part of our coursework uh, in historical theology, and uh, so for me, uh, you know, I've only been saying the creed on a regular basis for a few years, uh, but I had had exposure to both creeds earlier, and in a separate class, um, the it was it was a seminar on the Gospel of Mark. Uh, and uh, this was an undergrad. The professor said um, uh, he pulled the class first. He didn't say that this is what we're going to do. He said, "Would you guys 
like to uh, say the creed before every class. Um, and we thought it was fine. We didn't have any problem with it. Uh, and so we memorized or recited the Apostles' Creed uh, for that class. So I've had decent experience with both. Um, but on a regular basis, you know, we, we say both. Uh, so the Apostles' Creed during the non-high seasons, and then the Nicene Creed for all the high seasons. So Christmas, or Advent, Christmas, uh, Epiphany, I think, Lent, and then Easter. Uh, and Pentecost, I guess, maybe? We'll see. I can't remember from I don't know, the past years. Um, but all the high seasons of the church, uh, the Nicene Creed, you know, pokes its little head out, and you get all this long exposition. Um, I mean, so you get the longer section on the sun, uh, which can be, if you've never heard it before, and you've only ever heard the Apostles' Creed, can be really foreign. It was, because I was like, wait, a new part of it? But uh, what happened? It, the, the, the flow went somewhere else. Right, right. Um, so how, I had asked the, the folks in the class last time um, how your experience with the creed has been, um, especially the Nicene Creed. Um, so since there are three new people, we can hear from you first, I guess, if you don't mind sharing how your experience has been, good, bad, confused, um, just kind of forget about it sometimes, and then you find yourself coming back to it at other times. I'm always relieved when we just do the Apostles' Creed. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it has more of a beat, and more of a flow. Uh, it's a summary. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't, I can't really answer that question. I don't know. It's just, uh, I have to refer to the, the hymnal. Mm -hmm. and of course, Apostles' Creed, you don't have to. I think it's less concentration when I have to read it, really, <laughs> than trying to yeah. repeat it uh, <clears throat> by memorization. Yeah. But I, you know, we don't. Doesn't seem like we do it that often, so I'm not. Don't really. So either way, whether I, if it's if it really means something to me, I like the shorter version. <laughs> okay. Then, in your experience with the Apostles' Creed, how? Um, what has that meant to you? Um, slash, what do you think it means to the church to say that? Every well, it's it's a guideline. It's a statement, a commitment. If you really truly believe it, yeah. it's a commitment statement. It is. Uh, maybe not so much as like what's in the Bible, love thy neighbor and that stuff. But uh, I'm glad we have it. It's, it's a reminder what yeah. it's all about. That's right. It sets, if I could uh, sort of rephrase that a little bit, it sort of sets the framework for how we read scripture, for how we approach the world. Uh, and then, so I guess it kind of sits in the background for how we love our neighbors. Uh, so it doesn't have those commandments in them. This is a creed, not a commandment. Um, per se, but it's still 
uh, so we can even make reference to the passage from Deuteronomy uh, on the first uh, the first page there. It's interesting because this uh, small creed, it's called the Shema. Uh, it takes its name from the first word, hear. It's a, an imperative, a command to hear. Uh, so hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Uh, so just real quick, uh, the word alone can also be translated is one. The Lord is one. So various translations, English translations, will make that difference known. Um, but you can't have everything in, in one translation. It's not possible. Um, but I think that's an important uh, thing to know because the tradition of interpretation has made that point clear that it can mean both things. Um, so the Lord our God is our God. The Lord alone or the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Uh, I'll go ahead and finish it. Keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children, and talk about them when you are at home and when you are away, when you lie down and when you rise. Bind them as a sign on your hand. Fix them as an emblem on your forehead, and write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So that first, um, the first clause of what Israel has been commanded to hear is a creed. Um, the Lord is our God, that Lord. Well, which one? The one Lord, the Lord alone. So it's a statement of commitment it's communal and it's personal, right? You're committing, when, when the Jews say this every morning, they're committing themselves to this creed. Or we might say this creedal formula. Uh, but then it combines the command to love God. Uh, Jesus will later combine this command with a command from Leviticus to love your neighbor as yourself. Um, so it's, in some ways, Roy, it's kind of baked into, it's sort of snuck in the back door, so to speak, um, so that it's implicit on the back end to love your neighbor, um, to recite it to your children, um, to keep the commands, uh, to bind them as signs on your hands, as emblem of, emblems on your forehead. As uh, these constant reminders of who God is and what God has done uh, as the primary sort of story. And the creed does that. It tells us that story in a sort of summary form. Um, even the Nicene Creed with the expansion, it still tells that basic story. Uh, and sort of sneaks some of these in through the back door because it prepares the people who confess the creed to, to do certain things in the world. Uh, why? Well, because of the commitment they've made to the one God and to that God alone.
or Lord. Um, does that make a little bit of sense? Uh, so I, I, I hope that's faithful to what you were, some of what you were saying. I was kind of yeah. hoping to draw some of that out a little bit. Uh, I, I do think that's important. Um, so, Andrea, mm -hmm. how has your experience been with the Creed? So, I mean, I grew up here at the church. My mom volunteered a lot and she worked up here. So mm -hmm. I would spend a lot of time up here. And I, one of my early memories would be because we used to always have the hymnals and not the paper um, printouts. And um, I think she was working in the altar guild and I just opened the hymnal at the beginning because that's where all the creeds and everything was. And I do have memory of the Nicene Creed because I, I asked my mom, I'm like, why, you know, what's this one, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think the thing is, it's, it was a pattern of, you know, we, I knew I said it in church, you know, we would say the Nicene Creed every now and then, and then the Apostles' Creed, you know. So it's just a repetition that I remember, but in confirmation, that's when we had to memorize it, the Apostles' Creed part. Mm -hmm. And I think with the Nicene Creed, I, you know, you just, it's an expanded version, you know. So um, when we studied it in confirmation, it was more like breaking it down of what everything needs. Um, the one thing that I still, you know, um, whatever, um, get the hookup or the hang up for me is that, you know, believe in the one holy Catholic apostolic church. You know, I remember asking Pastor Phil that, like, we're not Catholic, <laughs> you know, type deal. And he had to break that down a little bit, you know, so that always, I just remember, I mean, I don't know how old I was, but that's something that always stood out to me because it's like why are we praying to you know to me like that's like we're praying to, to the pope basically or whatever to in my head that's where where i went with that you know yeah. so but it's just something that's always been part of my you know ritual of church mm -hmm. and everything and yeah it's a summary to me of what mm -hmm. we believe in so the just a couple of things from what you were saying uh some Protestants, anyway, mm -hmm. uh, they have the same thing up. Why do you open the same Catholic? Mm -hmm. um, that is a to good the question. Point, to the point that some people, some Protestants and Protestants don't say it at all, mm -hmm. uh, like mine, growing up. Uh, and, uh, there were other reasons, but that was one of them. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the distinction here is between big C Catholic mm -hmm. and little C Catholic, little C. Yeah. Um, which both mean according to the whole, mm -hmm. um, or in a short word, universal. Mm -hmm. um, and that's how it was explained. Yeah. When I would, when I, I don't know how old I just was. Just can't hear I, the difference when you say the big C versus. I know. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead, go ahead and explain like, the well, big C and little yeah, C. I don't, I don't get that, it. That's that the word Rome never shows up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, even though in the big C Catholic world, there's more than just Roman Catholics. Right. There's Byzantine Catholics. There's other Eastern Rite Catholics uh, who have all um, agreed to, uh, despite various differences that they, legitimate differences that they have in approach or style, um, they've agreed to be united in one church. Mm -hmm. um, and, but none of those other names show up in the creed either. Mm -hmm. 
there's not the Maronite Catholic Church uh, listed in the creed. There's not the Byzantine. There's not the Chaldean. Uh, you know, all these other, or the Ethiopian Church or the Orthodox Church. None of that shows up in the creed. Were they represented when the creed was created? As the Council of Nicaea? Well, it's, it's funny uh, because before, really before the the split of the Eastern and Western Church, uh -huh. um, partly because of geography, partly because of time, partly because of various differences in perspective or emphasis, uh, or um, in some cases, doctrinal teaching. Uh, so there's lots of things that led to the split between Eastern and Western churches in the 11th century. So until that point, there was only one church, um, which is why they could say Catholic Church, and everybody knew exactly what that meant. Um, and so there, there wasn't this need to distinguish between big C and little c, as, as sometimes we need to do now, um, in part because we, as Lutherans, I say we, um, I'm still, you know, being brought into the fold, so to speak. Um, there are, uh, one of the biggest things was the joint declaration on justification uh, between the Lutheran communities and the Catholic Church. So at least on that, they agree, um, more or less, right? Some people might emphasize some things in that joint statement more than others. But they've still officially come to an agreement on those things. They'll disagree about other things. Um, but one of the major issues in the Reformation 500 years ago has more or less been resolved. Um, and so, in a real sense, Lutherans can say wholeheartedly, we believe in one Catholic and Apostolic Church. Um, I think there are other other things to you know, parse out about that, and we won't go down that rabbit hole. Um, I'm, I'm just curious, since we've gone down this rabbit hole already, <laughs> uh, okay. what did the church call itself back then? The church? Or the Catholic Church? Or, no, did they actually call themselves the Catholic Church? Yeah, I think one of the first references to the Catholic Church shows up in the... Probably the earliest would be in the second century. And why? What did it mean to them then? That word? Uh, because it helped preserve. There were several things, I think. Uh, it helped preserve the unity of the church, um, at least as, as they're combating different heresies. Uh, or as they would see then, I think they would call them heresies. We see that in Irenaeus, for example. He writes a book specifically called Against Heresies. Um, but the issue, one of the issues was the interpretation, or rather the misinterpretation of scripture. And so if you can point to um, an aspect of the church that provides continuity back to the, uh, the apostolic age, then you can say, uh, and all the church, all the other churches that you know that you're networked with can can uh, can sort of trace back their theological heritage, so to speak, back to the apostles, or at least the disciples and the apostles. Uh, then you have a legitimate claim to being 
part of the unified church, which is the Catholic Church, the faith that has been taught according to the whole. Um, so that in, in a real sense, if you go to any of these churches that are in communion with each other, uh, that recognize the, the priests, that recognize the ordination of those priests and bishops that are over those churches, that they can ensure the fidelity and the integrity of the faith uh, against heresy. Um, so I think that's one of the reasons why it, it pops up is because there's a need to uh, preserve the unity of the church from, from splinter because of factions. Um, so we see so this, that's right. We see this with Marcion. Um, we see this with uh, various Gnostic groups. And was it because the other churches were calling themselves Christian, so they couldn't use the word Christian? No, they would call themselves Christians. No, I mean in terms of the label of the church. It's the Holy Catholic Apostolic Church. It's not the Holy Christian Church. Yeah. I'm, I'm just I'm just curious. Yeah. Why, why, Christian. Why, yeah. why Catholic instead of Christian? Yeah, or... Well, Jesus, of, we're the Jesus Church. I don't know. <laughs> I, I think because the the various groups that were popping up uh, were calling themselves Christians, yeah, that's and right. so they needed to they needed other ways to be precise um, about not simply to say who's in and who's out, but to say. Uh, which teaching is more faithful to the apostolic tradition that they perceived. Um, and so that actually, that's an important point that I think is helpful for us to think about. Just an whiteboard. He's excited. He was a, he was a uh, down thinking the about this, this need to, uh, again, as I said, trace your theological heritage uh, or in some in, in some cases the ecclesiological heritage. Where did this church come from? Uh, so in, in systematic theology, ecclesiology is what we have to say about the nature of the church, the ecclesia. Okay. Um, so that that process of tracing your heritage back is called apostolic succession. Uh, apostolic meaning apostles, right? That's right. Uh, and it goes along, there are other, there are other things that sort of feed into this, uh, other aspects. And when you read uh, the first chapter, that'll fill out a little more. Um, so one of the history books does a really good job of talking about this and some of the things you're talking about. It's Yusuf Gonzalez's um, uh, story of Christianity. Uh, I'll leave that here for you to take a look at. He um, does a pretty good job of briefly and, and clearly laying out how this process was going. Um, there are other other books we could uh, bring up, but that's one that's easily accessible. Um, so I think that's part of the reason why uh, the word Catholic 
arose anyway. Uh, it's a Greek word originally. And so for the majority of the Christian world in the first few centuries, they were Greek speaking. Um, so a lot of the early language that the church used, and even the Nicene Creed, which gets updated at, at the Council of Constantinople 60 years later, um, there, it's written Greek. Uh, so a lot of the, the key words, some of the strange words that we find in the creed, um, all of those are Greek. Well, some people think, uh, well, I'll, I'll put a pause on that. Uh, just to say, there the languages, the theological languages that the church has used um, have been several, Hebrew, Greek, Latin, in the East, you have Syriac, Ethiopic, or Ge'ez, uh, it's also called. Um, in some, in medieval, um, in the medieval period, which actually stretches from roughly the death of Augustine to the Reformation, which is about a thousand years, um, you have, in that time period, Arabic, becomes important because the Arabs come to Spain and they bring with them the writings of Aristotle in Arabic. So we don't find the writings of Aristotle in Greek until sometime later. So we're reading an Arabic, Christians are reading an Arabic translation of Greek texts. Uh, and so that's a, again, another rabbit hole, but all I have to say, um, I'll make every effort to make um, some of these language uh, finer points of the language clear as they come up. Um, so we were on your talking about what you, <laughs> so your, that so wasn't your, right. I got that. Well, I'm, I'm just trying to. Yeah, no, you're okay. Um, that what you were something you hit on and hung you up. Uh, at least when you were younger, right before, you said, what is this? Mm -hmm. What well, actually has mm -hmm. a long, long tradition mm -hmm. uh, of the church trying to make explicit where it got what it says. Um, in some ways, you know, uh, you might call it citing your sources. Mm -hmm. um, it's not exactly that in the creed anyway, because there's nothing cited, right? Uh, it doesn't say we got it from this book, chapter, verse, and we got it from this early church father or, or whatever. It just says it. Um, and, <clears throat> well, I guess we can we can drop that. I think there was something else you had said, but I can't remember uh, what it was at this point. Um, Yeah. All right, Ellen, on to you. Uh, some of your experience with the creed. Um, well, we memorized the Nicene Creed in fifth grade. We were confirmed like in high school. So I wasn't confirmed until I was a junior in high school. Um, I don't know, going back to Catholic, 
um, from a Catholic perspective, and I guess it wasn't explained because I was part of the Holy Catholic Church, so it didn't bother me. Yeah. But what it meant to me was universal because it was a little C. Right. And right. so it just, every time I say it, I think, oh, we haven't, um, we haven't lived up to what the founding fathers of the faith really wanted us to live up to because so many different denominations existed. That's what, that's what I always thought of is Catholic church. If we're supposed to be this universal presence, uh -huh. so we do not live up to that. So for you as a reminder of division. It was. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> um, I mean, and when you were somewhat Catholic. expected. When you were Catholic. When you were Catholic, you were thinking that. Yes. Do you still think that today? Um, well, when I say it, I still, yeah, I guess I just bring it away. Back. It brings it back to, yeah. you know, really, uh, we started with this idea of a Catholic church, a universal church. And because we seem to be human and splinter things easily, uh, we don't live up to um, necessarily so have, a Catholic church. I have a question in relation to what she just said. Okay. Is that true? And what I mean by that statement is we had a friend who said, well, the Catholic Church was the largest, but there were other churches that have were started back then and have survived to today. So Christianity, when we think of the Catholic Church back in 400 or 300, we think of this monolithic, I think of, this monolithic church with a few outliers that died off. But he said they didn't die off. They still exist, and they still exist today. Yeah, I think uh, that's actually a, a big historical debate. Uh, how do you define a Christian church, uh, right? So if there's lots of people claiming Christian, uh, again, that was the need for apostolic succession, uh, the ability to trace back according to the whole, your, where you got it, what you're saying. Uh, and for some churches, they were so secluded uh, that they didn't really bother anyone, so people just left them alone. Um, some of them have survived, some of them haven't. Uh, so like the Ethiopic church isn't exactly Orthodox, but it isn't exactly Catholic either. Uh, they have a slightly larger canon of scripture than even the Orthodox. Um, which is slightly larger than the Catholic canon, which is slightly larger than the Protestant canon. Uh, and they have, there are reasons internal to why that is, but part of it happens to be geography, part of it happens to be language. Uh, nobody really messed with the Ethiopians. Uh, again, for lots of various reasons. Um, but like the, uh, so when, when missionaries finally get to China and Japan, uh, Jesuit missionaries uh, in the 1600s, something like that, uh, there are Christians there, but those Christians are uh, what we would call Nestorian. So Nestorius was a fellow several hundred years earlier, around the time of, there we go, and we're back. Um, they found Nestorian Christians whose understanding of Christ had been condemned several hundred years earlier. 
condemned. Condemned as a as a um, that's um, in the councils uh, various views, and that's one of the reasons why the creed exists at all was to combat uh, various views on and interpretations and understandings of the nature of Christ. Uh, so the first one, Arianism, deals with whether Jesus was a creature uh, because he had a human body or was he divine. Yeah. Uh, so like if you're dry, drawing a line between uh, uh, divine or the deity or God and uh, creation of creatures, which side of the line does Jesus go on? Right. Right. Uh, another one. Um, so I'm sorry, but I just want to make sure I'm clear. When you say condemn, are you using that in the same context of, well, that's heretical? Yes, that's where I'm going. So in okay. the councils, when they do that, they, they have what are called anathemas, mm -hmm. uh, which are condemnations of various views. And for the most part, they're pretty, they're pretty good about avoiding, I won't say this as a strict rule, um, a lot of times they're good at avoiding specific names of people so that they're condemning the view. Right. Um, or that particular understanding or that particular interpretation of script, various scriptural texts. Um, and so that's, that's what, when I say condemned uh, in this class, that's what it's more than likely going to mean. It's not going to be uh, an eternal condemnation. Right. It's going to be the, the condemnation, uh, the judgment of the church that a particular view is actually a misunderstanding of scripture's witness is a misunderstanding of the apostolic tradition. Um, what were the churches? Uh, they thought there were um, <clears throat> a confusion of the two natures of Jesus, the divine and the human nature, uh, the, that they were uh, mixed, that you can't tell them apart. Um, I think anyway, I'd have to refresh on the storyism. We might get there uh, in a week or two. Um, all that to say, I do, uh, if I can, I do want to pivot to the, the rest of these passages because I want to make uh, another distinction that I think is really going to be important for our understanding and development of the creed. Um, so does someone mind reading, uh, we've got a few minutes here, I think we can do it. Someone mind reading the uh, Isaiah 45 passage? <clears throat> For thus says the Lord who created the heavens, he is God, who formed the earth and made it, he established it, he did not create it as chaos, he informed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, there is no other. I did not speak in secret in the land of darkness. I did not say to the offspring of Jacob, seek me in chaos. I, the Lord, speak the truth, I declare what is right. Assemble yourselves and come together, draw near, you survivors of the nations. They have no knowledge, those who carry about their wooden idols and keep on praying to a God that cannot save. Declare all presence your case. I mean, declare and present your case. Let them take counsel together. Who told this long ago? Who declared it of old? Was it not I, the Lord? There is no other God beside me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is no one besides me. 
Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am, for I am God, and there is no other. Be, my, be myself, I have sworn, for my mouth has gone forth in righteousness, a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Okay. And uh, let's see. So for this uh, John 1 passage, you can skip uh, verses 6 to 9, just so we have enough time. Uh, whoever wants to read that can skip right from verse, after verse 5 to verse 10. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What, he, what has come into being in him was life, and this life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to know, he came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who who received him, who believed in him, his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of men, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen the glory, the glory as a father's only son, full of grace and truth. John testified to him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks ahead of me because he was before me. From his followers we have all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. Philippians uh, 2. Okay. Uh, Christ Jesus, who though he was in the, in the form of God, did not regard equality with God, as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness and being formed in human form. He humbled himself and became um, obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue should confess that jesus christ is lord to the glory of god the father 
He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things invisible and invisible, whether thrones or denominations, dominions, dominions, sorry, or rulers or power. All things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all of the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through God was pleased to, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven by making peace through the blood of the cross. Do you want to read this one? I can. Okay, I was like, <laughs> conveniently. All right. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many ways, many in various ways by the prophets. Two, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son whom he appointed heir of, heir of all things through whom he also created the worlds. He is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being. And he sustains all things by his powerful word. When he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Uh, this so the, the 
passages of scripture that we read are by no means exhaustive. Okay, uh, this was a, I thought a representative sampling. Uh, so from what we read, um, how do you see that reflected in the creed? And it said visible and invisible, which is a basically a direct quote. From right. Peter. Okay. So that one comes from John, I think. If it's not John, then it's Colossians. Yep. Uh, verse 16, all things uh, on, in heaven and on earth, things visible and invisible. And then there's the exact imprint of God's very being, which is that, isn't that like consubstantial, basically? The, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that's getting, getting there. He's of the same essence. about uh, sat down at the right hand, right? But isn't that kind of sat on the right hand? It, it kind of goes through the Bible a lot of times. You'll see it in... Sometimes, I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's a, a common uh, trope, we might yeah. say, for someone... Uh, like, I've forgotten and let me... Yeah. Or, or being given a special place, yeah. Uh, spoken by the prophets. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, the name of Jesus. Right. Uh, confess. Uh, born in human likeness, human form. Uh, equal with God, the form of God. Let's see. You know, it actually doesn't say born, it says incarnate of the Virgin Mary. Yes, we will talk about that. <laughs> we will talk about that. Uh, the name, to go be a little more explicit. Uh, so in Philippians, it's at the name uh, that is above every name, the name of Jesus. Uh, but in Matthew 28, the name, which is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Interesting. Especially just, for Jews, right? Yeah. Well, and but then you kind of see where it's like, oh, this is all from text of the Bible into the creed itself. Right. So it's like, oh, there's, there's, it's like a primary source. If you had to cite Absolutely. your primary right. source, you can yeah. tell I'm the teacher part. <laughs> you'd be going, okay, but this is from here. This is your primary source. This is how you prove that it's correct. That's what I. <laughs> Anyone else? We've got just a couple of minutes left. I want to, um, if nobody else has anything to hop on, just where kind of where the creed is sort of um, like a sponge, just sort of soaking in all these different things. Uh, there's a really important distinction um, that biblical scholars mostly for the last 200 years have failed to make. Uh, and I think it's important, especially if we're going to understand how the creed develops. Um, because while some people can make the argument that some of these passages, so like there's a debate whether Colossians is actually from the hand of Paul or from, uh, Paul usually wrote by scribes in England. So, <clears throat> aside the point, uh, if it didn't actually come from Paul, 
and it came from somebody else who was roughly familiar with Paul's thought, right? Um, but with these creeds, they're developing very early. Various forms of the creeds, and we'll talk about that. Uh, so read chapter one if you can. Uh, we'll talk more about that, how these creeds, some of these creeds are developing, where they're getting some of this language, etc. And uh, so some people can argue that some of these passages from scripture, especially if they're later by uh, a hand later than Paul's or later than John's or whatever. Some say John, the Gospel of John wasn't even written by John, it was written much later. I highly doubt that. But um, that they're drawing their words from the creed. Well, you can make a legitimate argument that it's actually the other way around. But the creed, uh, in its historical development, is actually drawing its language from scripture. So the thing I wanted to make a distinction between is judgments and concepts. Okay. So um, to your point, you had mentioned one of the phrases in uh, Hebrews one, the exact imprint of the very being of God. Uh, is that the same thing? as of the same substance of God that we find later in the creed, or consubstantial, um, or of one being. You'll see that translation. And why would you say they're the same? Because it's talking about the very being of God, and it's this, if the exact imprint to me means the same. <laughs> okay, so you're, you're pointing implicitly to this, to this distinction. They're making the same judgment, but in different conceptual terms. Okay? Uh, and we'll, you'll see this through the other passages, too. Um, some of them are lifted right from Scripture, like visible and invisible. Uh, others, like um, the form of God, equality with God, like we find in Philippians, uh, or in Colossians, the... Uh, how does he say it in Colossians? The image of the invisible God, right? Uh, or in Hebrews, the exact imprint of God's very being, uh, the reflection of God's glory in John, the glory as of an only son, uh, the name in Jewish circles, there was only one who had the name, Hashem, and that's the one Lord, right, from the Shema. Uh, the one God, the unique God, is your only Lord. Um, so, it's really important for us to keep this, this distinction. Uh, because they're, they're coming to the same judgments. They're making the same decisions uh, about who Jesus is. Uh, chiefly, I mean, that's why the part about Jesus is so long but they're using different conceptual terms. So they can use consubstantial or homoousion uh, to mean one being or the same substance, even though that word doesn't show up in scripture, because they're making the same judgments. Okay. Uh, so we'll talk more about some of the philosophical, that's one of the objections, well, it's too philosophical. There's too many fine distinctions. Uh, I don't think that, 
objection stands. Um, I'm sorry, I had forgotten to pass this around and get your emails. Uh, I'll be around after the 11 o'clock service. I don't know if y'all be around when the kids play on, on the playground or anything. Sometimes. But if you can, uh, write it down. If not, I'll get it to, to you. Get it to me another time. Next Sunday. Yeah. Worst yeah, case, we don't have kids, so we can. Yeah, I gotta, gotta go find anybody one. to pick up. That's all right. If you made it this far, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Hermeneutica, etc. Uh, again, <clears throat> I apologize for the audio quality. We'll be working to remedy that issue in the future. Um, if you can take a few minutes to uh, rate the podcast, uh, to share with your friends, um, especially if you do find it interesting. You can also find more uh, at the blog uh, webpage um, by searching hermeneutica etc.wordpress.com. Uh, there you can explore. Uh, previous blogs, uh, as well as a Christian toolbox page that I've created uh, as a resource for people who are wanting to dig down deep into scripture and the tradition. Uh, Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week.